Hey, Seacoast. Uh, glad you're here this weekend. I uh, hope you had a great holiday week. I am not going to be actually on location here uh, because I have a turkey hangover. Uh, actually, uh, not so. Uh, what I'm doing is I am installing a new pastor at our Irmo campus uh, this weekend. And so I wanted to introduce you uh, to our guest, Scott Williams. Scott's a friend of ours, and he has quite a varied background. Uh, he, among other things, was the youngest prison warden, I think, in the entire system in the United States at 25 years old. Uh, he's been involved in uh, church work. He was a part of the Life Church team in Oklahoma City. In fact, he was the first campus pastor at the Northwest Campus, which grew uh, from just uh, starting out to 3,500 people in about three years under his leadership. Uh, Scott uh, now speaks all over the United States uh, to various groups on leadership, on uh, diversity. In fact, Scott has written a book called uh, Church Diversity. Uh, as many of you know, the uh, 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning is the most segregated uh, hour in the United States. And a part of Scott's mission is to really attack that with the gospel. And so I said, Scott, I want you to come speak to us at Seacoast when you've got an open date, and today is the time. And so I want you to give a huge Seacoast welcome to our friend, Scott Williams. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. As Pastor Greg said, my name is Scott Williams. I'd like to welcome everyone. Join us at all of our Seacoast campuses. For those of you who joined us around the world on the internet, maybe you're even listening to a podcast. Welcome here today. It is truly an honor and a privilege to be able to speak with you uh, and to share God's word. I'm really looking forward to all God has in store for us today. Again, I am from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And again, I was a pastor at LifeChurch.tv, served there for uh, over five years. And about seven months ago, we left and we started a, a consulting company. I work with organizations, churches, nonprofits, and with organizational growth and, and get, get a chance to go all throughout the country and speak. And I couldn't be more happy to be able to share God's word here at Seacoast Church. Uh, your pastor, Greg, has been a mentor from afar. And I, I'll probably preach into the choir, but I want you guys to know this. You're under some amazing, amazing leadership around the country. People look at, at Pastor Greg as kind of this pastor of pastors, uh, this man with just true integrity, and really look at Seacoast for an example of this is how to do church. And so, so just know that, and we know behind every uh, great man is a great woman. So would you guys honor your pastor and first lady this morning? Just give him a hand clap if you would. And the great thing for me now is getting the opportunity to go out and speak. So I get to speak at some amazing places, speak at places all around the country. And when you get to speak in an environment like Charleston where the weather is great. As a matter of fact, I had someone tweet me and say, Pastor Scott, are you going to go swimming while you're down there? And my answer was no. And they're like, why not? I was like, because I can't swim. <laughs> you guys laugh. You know brothers can't swim. I mean... <laughs> I can't swim a lick, can't dog paddle or anything. If I fall in the water, I am literally just uh, drowning. So, uh, but it is, it's good to be with you. Uh, today we're going to talk about unity through diversity. Uh, before we dive into God's word, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Let's pray. God, speak to us. Amen. Thought it was going to be some long-winded prayer. No, no it's, uh, 
for all my short prayers out there, God listens to short prayers as well. So don't feel like, sometimes he's like, just get to the point. Like, I already know, you know, anyway. So anyway, but what we're going to do is, is about seven months ago, I had a book that came out. It's called Church Diversity Sunday, the most segregated day of the week. And really the, the heart is to speak to not just ministry leaders, but to every single person in this room, every single person, wherever you're at, just to the body of Christ about what we can do to see a more unified body of Christ. And so I'd written the book, and when it came out, a buddy of mine, his name is David Bowden, he's a spoken word poet. I said, David, would you write a spoken word piece that really captures the essence of what you caught in the book? And he said, sure. So he wrote it, and it was called Diversity Symphony. It was a great, great piece. And so I got my video team together. I said, I want to bring this together in, in a video that I really think will help communicate it to people. So it's called Diversity Symphony. We're going to watch it today. I think it really helps set the tone uh, for our time together. So let's check it out. It's called Diversity Symphony. Southern Baptist, what I believed is what others practiced, a white church planted in red dirt, a Midwestern boy with a tucked in shirt. I converted not just to Christianity, but to an ideology, an identity, an idea, a theology. I was taught Jesus died for the sins of humanity, that his cross would demolish all hints of inequality, that he cried out for unity in his last prayer at Gethsemane, and that this infallible book would bring all believers to harmony. But across the street with a Nazareth, and two blocks down were the Catholics and a mile north a church called Community and east of that were more Baptists. I had this uncallous thought that if we couldn't have fellowship with those in other fellowships who were taught a little different, then we could at least befriend the Baptists who were baptized for the same reasons and under the same creeds and because of the same tree. But these Baptists weren't like the Baptists in our baptistry, washing away their sin. For though these Baptists shared our beliefs, they did not share our skin. We are born into a separated Sunday morning. The body of Christ is segregated past all warnings. The church looks more like a court and less like a courting. Trading the unified bride for stereotype judgments. The juries are sorting. The blacks from the white, the left from the right, the women from men, the sinners from sin, the traditional from the charismatic, the liberal from the dogmatic, the denomination from the non-denom, inevitably separating us from God. How did we get so far off from the truth that now a poor, dark-skinned, unattractive Israeli Jew would have better luck dying for our sins than fitting in on our pews. Are our views and traditions worth destroying the body of Christ's eternal commission? Baptizing all nations in the damnation of our denominations fraternal omission? We are omitting the ominous call to depart from the social roles and charts our stratified cultures impart. But it's time our churches look less like the demographic of a country club and more like that of a Walmart. Before the cross all races and nations fit into two percentiles, God's chosen Israel and the unchosen Gentiles, those who could enter in the temple and those exiled by its walls. But after the cross, the hostility built into that divider did fall. And now a new people are born, a holy nation set apart from all who'd lived before. Within this borderless country, there are no Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, rich nor poor, Democrat nor Republican, Iraqi nor American, holy nor beautiful, polished nor tainted, Catholic nor Baptist, red nor brown, black nor white, there is only Christ, the miracle of a true life, the participants in a new creation, the old has gone, the new has saved us, we are the third race, neither Gentile or Jew, from death to life we have all passed through, 
Our skin has not been removed, but our eyes have been renewed. Now you can see me and I can see you as more than a brand title, sinner or color, but as a father, mother, sister or brother. The church is universal, the university of diversity. She can teach the world how to live in harmony. The church is local, the locale for unity, unifying heaven and earth. We are the contrasted community. Our allegiance is not to a country, color or creed, but to the androgynous family born on that Roman tree. We will no longer be separated by our prejudices and bigotry, nor be segregated from those who think or look differently, but will embrace our body's beautiful diversity and will raise our voices for peace as God's extraordinary symphony. One of the things that I think David did a, an excellent job at is really uh, capturing the heart and essence behind uh, some scripture, Galatians 3.28. And here's what the scripture says. You have your Bibles with you. You can go ahead and open them up again. Galatians 3.28. Uh, the Apostle Paul, here's what he says. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me read this again. I want you to feel what I'm saying and feel what God's word is saying. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female for you, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul doesn't take away from the distinction that we may all look different, black, white, yellow, brown. But what he goes on to say is that we are united, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's a very important point for us to understand because if we're going to understand how we can have unity through diversity, we have to understand that concept. So today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the two ways that we can realize church diversity. And if you're taking notes, you can write this first one down. The first way we can realize church diversity is this. We have to learn to live the great commandment. We have to learn to live the great commandment. You see, there was a time in Scripture when the rabbis were having this ongoing debate over which of the commandments were, were weighty or heavy or bigger or more important and which ones were the lighter ones. And so they asked Jesus the question, like, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And here's how Jesus responded in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39. Jesus replied this way, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so what he's saying is in order for us to have this clear and utter devotion to God, we have to learn to love the Lord God with all of our soul, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with everything in us. But then he also goes on to say that we have to learn to reach out, we have to learn to step out and to love our neighbors 
as ourselves. And those neighbors may not look like us. Those neighbors may not always act like us or talk like us. But Jesus is telling us, if we want to truly understand this great commandment, that's what we have to do. And when we get that, and when we understand that we can also be a part of not only loving our neighbors, but being a part of helping to win our neighbors to Christ. I mean, it reminds me of a story in the Bible. Uh, many of you know the story of the woman at the well. It's when Jesus was on his journey and he was traveling from Judea to Galilee, right? And so the, what, what would happen is Jews would not go through Samaria because they didn't want to interact with these Samaritans, these, these mixed race folks. They didn't get along. They didn't interact. So they would generally go along the Jordan, go around the long way. But this particular day, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they were traveling, and Jesus said, I need to go through Samaria. So they cut through Samaria, and they go, and they come to this town of Sychar. And they come to a well known as Jacob's Well. And so there's this Samaritan lady there, and she's there, you know, getting some water. So Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling, they're on their journey. Uh, Next thing you know, they come to the well, the disciples' stomachs growling, they're out there. I, that's not in scripture. I'm making that up. But anyway, but so Jesus sends his disciples into town to get something to eat. So imagine he sent them in town to get some Chick-fil-A. That's what they would eat, right? They're closed on Sunday anyway. So he sends his disciples into town to get something to eat. And he begins to have this conversation with the Samaritan woman. Not only did Jews not talk to Samaritans, but let alone a Jewish guy talking to a Samaritan woman. And so he's having this conversation with her. And she begins to talk about her life and she begins to, to try to get him some water and, and take some, get something to drink. And he's talking to her about the living water. And so she begins to tell her, you know, about her husband and, and all this and that. And so finally Jesus just stops her and he calls her out. He's like, look, I know, I know about your life. I know everything about you. I know about your other five husbands that you had. I know about the guy that you're shacking with right now, that you're living with right now. He's not even your husband. And so he calls her out. And so next thing she starts to think and, and ask this question like, Could this be the Messiah? You see, the Samaritan lady, she had this moment with Jesus. So she was a little bit different, right? And so next thing you know, the disciples return. They come back, Chick-fil-A in hand. Here's what the scripture says in John 4, 27 through 30. It says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. I love this part of scripture. It says, "But, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Imagine the disciples come back like, dog, I'm not asking, you ask him. Like, nobody asked. Nobody asked a question. It goes on to say, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? It says, They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And so, you see, this Samaritan woman was different because she had a moment with Jesus. And many of us, that's the case. When you have this moment with Jesus, your life is different. And so my question for you and for everybody at all of our campuses, how many of you would say that your life, that your family, that your marriage is different as a result of this ministry and that you have had that moment with Jesus by a show of hands? All of our campuses, everybody raise your hand. Hands being raised all over the place. So my question for you, if your life is different because you've had this moment with Jesus, why aren't you running to the town and telling the people, come see. You have to come see what I'm seeing. You have to come experience what I'm experiencing. Come see this man 
who knows everything about me. Come be a part of this man who's changing my life. This is the Messiah. You see, there's power in you going and sharing your story. And we learn this from the Scripture. Because here's what will happen. If you go throughout Georgia and the Carolinas and the low country and you tell people, come see. Next thing you know, they too will come through these doors. Their lives, their family, their situation, their marriage, and their children will be different. If you jump down to to John 4, verse 39 through 42... Here's what the scripture says. This will be the result when you tell those people to come see and you share your story. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Listen to this part. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. As a result of her sharing her story. As a result of you sharing your story, you sharing your testimony, you telling people, dude, I'm different. My family is different. Come see. That's going to result. Many more people are going to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we all have a story. No matter who you are, you have a story, you have a testimony. I mean, a little bit earlier, Pastor Greg told you a little bit about my story. I'm a, a kid who, who went to church on this side of the tracks, ended up going to church on the other side of the tracks, got saved, went on this kind of windy road. Next thing you know, I find myself working in corrections, 25 years old, thrown into a role as the youngest prison warden in the country. Didn't know how God was going to use that time for me to be able to minister to the staff and to the guards and to the inmates. Left there, went into full-time ministry and all these different things. That's all part of, part of my story. So what what is your story? What is God doing in your life? And who are you telling to come see? And I'm thinking about my time as a a prison warden and then going into ministry, realize how God really prepared me for the ministry, is that I learned that there's a lot of similarities between being a prison warden and leading the church and being a pastor. And (laughs) I'm being serious. That's not a joke, but uh, it's... uh, And and I'll just share a few of the things that I learned. The first thing I learned is that in both places, if you want to be successful, you have to genuinely care about your people. I mean, I was considered this new school warden where I would actually go to the units. I would treat people with dignity and respect because the bottom line was I was naive at best to think that I ran that place. I mean, we would have 100 officers and we would have 1,000 inmates. They ran the facility. If I treat them with dignity and respect, the same thing is true for the church. The body of the Christ is the one that goes and does the works of ministry. And so you have to treat your people respect. You have to understand that your people can be your greatest asset or they can be your greatest pain in the asset. You know what I'm saying? And it uh, it's all depends on how you treat them. And I also learned that both places, uh, people are led by a specific set of rules. In prison, the rules are pretty simple. You mind your own business. You keep your hands to yourself. You don't commit any new crimes and you be respectful to the guards. In church, there's a lot more rules. 
You know, do you read this version of the Bible or do you read that version of the Bible? Do you submerge or do you sprinkle uh, acapella or do you have instruments? Do you need to dress up or can you dress down? Uh, is the song a sloppy wet kiss or an unforeseen kiss? I mean, there's all these different, I mean, there's all these different rules in the church. Oftentimes more rules than there is in a prison system. I learned that both places, there's sinners that are in need of a savior. And the last thing that I learned is that both places are the most segregated institutions in America. Uh, in the prison system, you can force integration. I could make sure that the units been based on cell assignment, make sure that there was an integrated and a diverse community. You can't do that in church. As a matter of fact, the research from Dr. Michael Emerson, he's a sociologist out of Rice University, the research shows that 93% of the churches in America are racially segregated. 93%. And this is not a white church issue or a black church issue or Indian Asian. It's across the board. You know, no matter where I speak, what church context, it is across the board. 93% of the churches in America are racially segregated. And it's been this way for a long time, this kind of tension with church and race and ethnicity. As a matter of fact, you can go to the book of Acts and Acts 15. Uh, the very first church-wide conflict was dealing with multi-ethnicity and racial issues. And I'm sitting here thinking of a quote from... Um, from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he said this nearly 50 years ago. And here's what he said. He said, we must face the sad fact that on Sunday morning, when we stand to sing, we stand in one of the most segregated hours in America. And here we are 50 years later, and Dr. King's quote still rings true today. And the sad fact is that followers of Christ don't seem to care. As a matter of fact, there's this big elephant that's sitting in the pews of churches all around the country and we ignore it like it doesn't even exist. And to be honest with you, you know, it's not our fault. I mean, it, we're, we're trained in society. I mean, what are we trained at the three things that we quote unquote are not supposed to talk about? What are they? We're not supposed to talk about race, religion, you're right, and politics. And so we're talking about church diversity. Two of those three things are front and center. But we have to be bold and we have to confront these issues. And many of you are asking, well, here's the deal, Pastor Scott. Why does it even matter? I mean, I love Jesus. I, I go to church every single week. I sing, I give, I serve. Why does diversity even matter? Let me help answer that question for you. The first reason that it matters is because it matters to God. The second reason it matters, it matters if we truly want to reach all of those who are far from God. And the third thing is because God has called us to be stewards of this mystery. I and mean, what is this mystery that I'm talking about? Uh, the Bible in Ephesians 3, 6, the Apostle Paul talks about the mystery. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel and members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. He says, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I mean, what he's talking about is Gentile inclusion. The modern day church diversity. That's the mystery that we're called to be stewards of. And so as ministry leaders of the body of Christ, we're, we're called to create environments where all, where everybody can receive this mystery. And, and, and its challenge is, is that every single entity beside the church 
has figured this thing out. I mean, if we think about it in sports, whether, whether you're a Georgia fan or a South Carolina fan or a Clemson fan or, or a Carolina Panthers, whatever your team is, I mean, you'll go to a sports game, black, white, yellow, brown, and you'll worship your favorite sports team hand in hand together. But then you'll go to church on Sunday morning, separated and segregated. Corporate America is the same way. They figure this thing out. In my book, I took a look at the top 10 corporations for diversity in the world. And, you know, corporations like IBM, Johnson & Johnson, Coca-Cola, and I, I drew parallels of how the church can learn from them. And let me tell you, why does diversity matter to corporate America? Because it matters to what? The bottom line, right? I mean, what's the bottom line for the church? Winning people to Christ. So diversity has to matter to our bottom line as well. I mean, Coca-Cola, they found themselves on the wrong side of the large discrimination lawsuit in the history of the country. And they took stock of who they wanted to be as a leader, as a diversity provider. Now they're one of the diversity leaders in the world. Coca-Cola cares about diversity, and they're selling sugar water. We have the living water, but we act like diversity doesn't matter. It has to matter. And the thing is, is we, we have to figure it out because this generation, they grow up expecting diversity. I mean, I'm thinking about my boys. They're 8 and 12 years old. And, and many of you watching right now, join us. Many of you are in this room. You're in a generation where you grew up and you, man, diversity is just all around you. I mean, if you look in sports, this generation grew up to where in the NBA, the center with the most potential was an Asian guy in Yao Ming. If you look in this generation, growing up where the best rapper is a white guy with Eminem. I mean, this generation has grown up where the best golfer used to be a black guy. I mean, like, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, I, I'm sitting here thinking of a quote from uh, Pastor Bill Hybels, Pastor Willow Creek Church in Chicago, and here's what he says about the local church. He says, the local church is the hope of the world, and the future rests primarily in the hands of its leaders. And so what he's saying is the, the local church is the hope of the world, and the future rests in your hands. 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 And the future rests in your The future rests in the hands of its leaders. There's a lot of responsibility there. But in order for us to really hold it how God wants us to hold it, we have to be open and willing to change and get out of our comfort zone. I remember as you're talking about being open to change. When I was in college, I went to the school, University of Central Oklahoma, in Edmond, right outside Oklahoma City. And I had like an eclectic group of roommates. I mean, every semester I had like the craziest group of roommates you can imagine. Uh, my first semester of my sophomore year, I walk in the first day, my roommate, he looks at me, he says, what's up, blood? Are you a crip? I'm thinking, no, dude, I'm a psychology major. And so anyway, like just crazy. And then the next semester, my roommate, his name was Johnny. And he was a country boy from a rural town called Ponca City. And Johnny dipped tobacco. And he would take like an empty 20-ounce bottle of pop or soda, whatever you call it in the South, and he would put toilet paper in the bottom of it and spit in it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's just nasty. And if you're somebody here or at any of our campuses and you do that, you're nasty and you're going to hell. I'm just saying, like, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> you might not be going to hell, but you might find yourself, I don't know, sweeping the floors of heaven or something. But I, I, 
And so each weekend, I found myself going to church with all these different roommates. Even my, my buddy that was a gang member, he was in the South in the Bible Belt, like even gang members go to church. So I go to all these different churches, everything from the rural church to the very charismatic church, you name it, I attended it. I remember one weekend, I was going to the black church. And so I needed to be sharp and clean, like, you know, big tie, suit. I needed to get my shoes shined. So I went to the local shoe shine man, and his name was Slim. And he was a tall, obviously slim black guy anyway, but he, uh, and he had a jerry curl. If you don't know what a jerry curl is, like coming to America, like anyway, so the movie. So he had a jerry curl. I went and like, I was sitting there talking to Slim as I was getting my shoe shine. I was talking to him about looking for a church and he began to talk to me about his church. Let me tell you, and the more he talked to me, the more intrigued I became. I was like, man, well, tell me more about your church. And so finally I said, Slim, is your church a black church or a white church? And no sooner did I get those words out of my mouth, he said, young man, that's the stupidest question you can ever ask. It's not a black church. It's not a white church. It's God's church. And I felt like um, at that moment, God really crushed me. And I didn't know what I was going to do with church diversity, but I knew that I needed to be part of this conversation. And I didn't end up going to Slim's church, but um, there was a family that invited us to this church to an, through an entire soccer season. And they was told us, it's very different than the church that you grew up in, but you should come check it out. And so finally, he's like, okay, we'll come. And so we went, and we just knew it as a church around the corner from our house that held up traffic. It was LifeChurch.tv. It was, so we went in, and they told us you can dress down at this church. And so we like, what does dress down mean? And so anyway, so we go in, and we're looking at people as they're walking. They're like... I mean, dress down for us might be loosen up your tie. It was like dress down, like shorts and flip-flops, kind of like dress down here. Like, I mean, like, that's how, so we went in and took all the things that we thought were going to be a big deal to us or things were like, man, it's really cool that they do this. We're taking, you know, cappuccino in the sanctuary. We go in, it's like all this smoke and haze, like a full-blown Van Halen concert. I'm like, man, what is this? And so we go and we would go week after week after week. And people were well, but there was something, this nagging question that we had was, do we feel welcome here? And it was because we didn't see anybody there that looked like us 11, 12 years ago. And I remember about six weeks in, uh, Pastor Craig, the senior pastor, he was preaching a message and he read an email that he received from an African-American lady. She was talking about how she was treated and how she was treated wasn't well. And he's taken the congregation to the woodshed. He says, you will not act like that. He said, if that's how you want to act, this is not the church for you. You need to repent. You need to leave. I mean, he just, he went off. I mean, he was taken. I'm like, I looked at my wife like, whoa, this dude is serious. And so, and that day when we got ready to leave the service, our whole row parted like the Red Sea. Because, hey, how are you doing? Can I help you? God bless you. Know, like, because statistically, my wife wrote that email. You know what I'm saying? Like, but uh, like, it was like. <laughs> and it was um, several months later I had lunch with Pastor Craig and I just asked him I said you know where's your heart as it relates to diversity and his response was I have a heart for it. will you help me and so I plugged in started serving in the ministry um, five years later came on staff and, and God was able to do some amazing thing at our, at our church we have to see you know lots of diversity and just really really cool stuff and in, in the book I outlined like what are the things that we can do just practically uh, to be able to realize uh, this diversity. And I just want to tell you this as a church, I've had these same conversations with your pastor. And I just want you to know that, man, your pastor has a heart to reach everybody with the good news, everybody with the gospel. And because the thing is, this is not a Pastor Greg or a Pastor Scott issue. This is a Jesus issue. This is a gospel issue. And that's what he's called us to do to get out of our comfort zone and to go reach all people for him. 
I remember I had a, some of my, my best, one of my best friends in the world, he and his wife, they just moved here from Chicago. They got transferred from Boeing, African-American couple. And uh, I, you know, I tell them my good church I know in Charleston, Mount Pleasant area was, was Seacoast. And so they, they had been visiting here. They've been coming here. And, and the one thing that they said was, they said, you know what, we've never been to a church that's more welcoming than this. And we really can see Pastor Greg's heart. And they just went through the inside track class. Now they're now members. I just want to say, man, you're in a church where everybody is truly welcome. But the question you have to ask and the question that you have to ask is, where is your heart as it relates to diversity? And allow God to stir on you a little bit and allow God to gnaw on you a little bit because God has called us to reach all people for him. And the challenge is as you're doing this, some people are going to be a little confrontational. They're just going to be like, how do I, you know, certain family members, and they're going to ask questions. And, and sometimes you just have to be a little confrontational. You know, uh, how many of you guys have seen the movie The Blind Side? By a show of hands, all of our campuses, raise your hand. Almost, looks like almost everybody seen The Blind Side. You remember the scene in the movie where Leanne Tui, she's been on the other side of the tracks, if you will, in Big Mike's world. And so she's going, and her life is changed, right? She's different. She comes back, and she's, she's at lunch with her rich, swanky girlfriend, and they're having lunch, and she's telling what she wants to do. God's stirring her. She wants to help. She wants to make a difference. What can I do? And they're like, Leanne, is this some wide flight guilt trip? You remember that scene? Like, and what's she do? She gets up from the table. She says, you know what? I can find an overpriced salad a lot closer to home. And you're going to have to have a very similar conversation with your friends and family when you start to talk about this. But no, this is not about you. This is about the gospel. And the second way that we can realize church diversity, if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and jot this down, is we have to learn to do the Great Commission. We have to learn to do the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is the mission of the church. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 28, 19, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And one thing about our language, like in the English language, our words have past, present, and future tense. But in the original Greek, the language of the New Testament, words have past, present, future, and some words have an ongoing tense. So the more literal translation of what Jesus is saying with the word go is as you are going. So what he's saying is, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. As you are going to work, as you are going to school, as you are going to your small group, as you are going to your Bible study, as you are going to Starbucks, as you are going about your business, make disciples of all nations. And what I feel like we've done is we've watered down the Great Commission to something I call the Great Omission. And we've omitted the all nations. We're okay with baptizing and making disciples. This isn't me talking. This is Jesus talking. He's saying that, you know, although his kickoff of his ministry was going to be here, that it was going to go literally to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the thing is, we have to be about making disciples of all nations. Because let me tell you this. Church diversity isn't just about the color of skin. But it's about the wages of sin. And the wages of sin, for those that don't know Jesus, is death. And we are called to do something about that. I mean, we, we, we go on missions and we want to go here, we want to go to Africa, and this. My question is how can we expect 
to take the gospel all around the world when we can't even worship people that live across town and across the tracks. Jesus, not me, has called us to go make disciples of all nations. And for those of you that are still struggling with church diversity, and those that you may run into that are struggling with church diversity, I'll say this. If you don't like church diversity, you're not going to like heaven. Because the book of Revelation is very clear. Every nation, every tribe, and every tongue worshiping the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to worship you, God. I just pray right now for your sons and daughters that are, that are underneath the sound of my voice that you begin to soften their hearts to see your church look like heaven. You say that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we begin that process, God. Get your people out of their comfort zone, God. Open their minds to the fact that it's not merely a race issue, but it's a gospel issue. God, may the people here at Long Point and, and all of our campuses all around, and people join us on the internet, may they, they understand that, that we are the change that this world is desperately looking for. And may they be the hands and feet of Jesus to a lost and broken world. May our hearts ache for the things that make you frown. God, we come to you and we thank you in advance for the change that will happen in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.